this week I've, I had a lot of different folks call me for counseling and uh, one of the hardest things when you counsel people is you're always having to look at your own heart because you can't come at somebody with an agenda or with a motive but uh, one of my friends sent me a little thing on Facebook and was talking about thoughts and it was like God gave me the right answer for the next person I had to talk to and that is if you don't take your thoughts captive they will take you captive has anybody ever had a runaway thought a runaway fear and it didn't happen see fear is believing a lie about the future and most fear comes from confusion and comes from our wounds so when it comes to fear the only thing we can do with it pull that thought down that hadn't happened yet I don't have any empirical proof that it will and that's not how that person usually deals with me so why would they all of a sudden act that way you know start bringing the truth to your thoughts and you can just pull them down because that's where Satan loves to work that's what he did to Eve in the garden helped her with her thinking and you can push it away and not have to go down a path that will take you to misery or cost you pain or, or maybe waste your time how much time do we waste overthinking? So let's come to God and talk to him today. And let's just pray and just ask him, Lord, help me learn how to take my thoughts captive. Help me pull truth into everything I move in. Let's pray.
Thank you, ladies. All right, we're going to continue in our series as we're going through here. And uh, so if you'll look with me back in James chapter 1, we will uh, close that out, the first chapter this morning. Uh, this will be a, a, a passionate message in the sense that this is something that I feel the church today desperately needs. And I say the church believers today. We are uh, lacking this truth in a mighty way, and we need to respond to this, and we need to understand the, the strength of it, the purpose of it, and ultimately our accountability to it. Uh, as we started, we saw uh, in a couple of weeks ago, James started off, started off his letter saying that he's aware that the, that the church had been scattered about and life was hard on them. They were being persecuted, but he encouraged them to persevere under it and persevere through it, he tells us in verse 4. And, you know, let patience have its perfect work, that maturity can be reached and we will lack nothing. And, and that's the beauty of God's Word. We miss it so much. God's Word is not just a do and don't list. It's a, it's a, it's a love letter that don't do this so you can have the fullness of life by such choices. It's not just don't do. And it's a little frustrating when Christians say, oh, I just have trouble. It's just do this, do that. I can't do enough. Well, no, we're missing the love of God. God's saying don't do that, not to be keeping you under his thumb because he wants you to lack nothing. In order to lack nothing, he's telling us how to get there. If we get offended by don't do that, do you see where the immaturity comes in? So this is where he's calling us to. Then last week we went from encouragement, James quickly transitioned straight into a commandment. There in verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted, I was tempted of God. God doesn't tempt. No. And he says, but his thing was don't succumb or succumb to the temptation that life brings you. It's nothing but a snare. It promises the, the rainbow and delivers what? The rain, as the quote says. It's nothing but a ploy of Satan to distract us and turn us away from the abundance we have in and what God has for us. So, we, so we, you know, we, we fall oftentimes, as I said earlier, in this spiritual to-do list in our faith walk. And we get blinded by this, these things that we're doing for God. But it's about pursuing something greater that the Father has for us. It's not doing to do, it's doing to accomplish all that God has for us. So God gives us this journey that he expects us to have this faith walk that leads into the fullness of his promises. Now, along the way, are there going to be things we must do? Well, yes, of course. But we can't approach those as checking off like a to-do list. That's just part of the journey, and it's where God's leading us to. You know, it's an illustration of, I'll use athletics. You know, if you want to be a great athlete, if you want to be a great pianist, it doesn't matter what you want to be. The thing is, you just don't join a team, i.e. going to church, and just show up at team meetings and do nothing. You're not going to be great at anything if you just want to show up and just be on the team, 
you know, it, it's about pursuing the things of God. It's about searching out the things that, that God offers us that brings about his fullness. It says, following the Spirit into action, it makes avoiding temptation and bearing under the weight of trials doable. When we're pursuing that, that brings abundance. Well, I struggle so much with sin. I just stumble blocks. I, I take one step forward. And it seems like I go two back. I, I, I'm telling you. I'm telling you, in most cases, when you find out these stumbling blocks, these disruptions in their lives, most cases you find a believer that's not in a strong, active walk with the Lord, which means they succumb to the temptation. They get caught up with to-do instead of worship and pursuing. And so we've got to grasp this perspective. We can be on the team. It doesn't take anything to be on the team. From peewee sports, really, even to high school, most high school, you just sign up. I want to be on the team. We can go around and find a church and be on the spiritual team. I'm going to go to that church, and now you're so-and-so. I go to so-and-so church. Okay? That doesn't mean we're accomplishing anything for the Lord. It's not about where you go to church. It's about who you're pursuing and who you're following. That's what matters. A church is just finding a body of believers and a, and a spiritual leadership that is pointing you towards that vision, towards that goal, and encouraging you to get there. And is willing to invest in you and, and, and not just texting and say, how are you doing, but, but pouring Scripture into you and challenging you with Scripture. Do you have people that are investing in you like that? That's the leadership you're looking for. Those are the brothers and sisters in Christ you're looking for that aren't just glad-handing glad you, good to see you today, and you hear nothing from them until next Sunday. That's not the unity the Lord calls believers to. It's not about joining a church. It's about pursuing Christ. As we look at these next few verses, there's not many we're going to look at this morning. I feel very, very moved in my heart that this is a desperate message for the body of the church today. So let's pray, and we'll get into this and uh, see what the Lord has for us through James' letter. Father, thank you for this morning, this opportunity to gather in your name. We thank you for the power of your word. Father, we thank you for the calling that you call us to, to pursue uh, your goodness and your righteousness. Father, we pray for those that are out. ask that you encourage them, bless them, heal them where it needs to be. But just anoint your word this morning. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I uh, won't ask you to stand again because we're going to read a passage here. So I'm just going to start off with verses 19 through 21. This morning we'll go 19 through verse 27. But let's just capture this a few verses at a time. So it should be on the screen with you or if you have your... Bible or device, you can read along that way. But here, James chapter 1, starting at verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, talking to those that are scattered about, believers, let every man be swift to what? Swift to hear and slow to... <laughs> you understand we could say amen right here and go home? Uh, you think I'm joking. We could say amen right here and go home 
and don't turn on any devices or anything and sit still and meditate on that verse right there for the rest of the day and it would do wonders for the body of Christ. Let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. Slow to anger. That's the exclamation point on that verse there this morning. There is so much anger in our society today. And it's unlimited. Well, it is unlimited. You can go on social media and you'll see the endless amount of reasons why everybody's angry about something with each other. But anger permeates our society today. God says don't have anger. Because in anger, it goes on to tell us, for the wrath, the anger of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, it tells us there, verse 21. Guys, you got better. Therefore, put away all uh, filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness. That word there, meekness is humility. The implanted word which is able to save your souls. This opening verse is so counterintuitive to our culture today. It's almost like now red light means go and green light means stop. We're so mixed up in our culture today. I'm going to go back to verse 19. I'm going to paraphrase it for us. I know that's a real deep verse and kind of hard to understand. So I'm going to paraphrase it for us. So if you'll allow me opportunity. Are you ready? Okay. Make it real simple. Shut up. And listen. Maybe that's more at our level of intellect. Shut up and listen. I think it would be a fair way to write the scriptures. Just be quick to hear, slow to speak. Again, today, everyone's obsessed, (laughs) overly obsessed with being heard. Everybody wants their voice heard, their opinion heard, their thoughts heard. And by God, let people know why they're angry and who they're angry with. Our society spends countless amount of time commenting on social media. These attempts to be heard create a secondary issue. It creates anger in our spirit. And when we're not heard, we just get angrier. More angry, I guess I should have said. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. This anger fails to produce the righteousness of God in our Christian walk. If we're claiming to be Christians and we're believers and this anger spews out of us for whatever reason, on on a personal one-on-one level, within your family, uh, within your work, within your church, within your community, if just because of whatever's going on in your life or around you, it causes your anger to spill out, you just shut up the voice of God through you in the hearts of somebody else. Nobody can see the righteousness, the goodness, the love, the mercy, the grace of God in your life when anger comes out of your mouth. It deafens the Word of God 
through your testimony. And it confuses people around you. If God's so good, then why are you so angry, mad, upset? If God's all loving, where's your love? God don't love you? So disruptive. So many people are on emotional and a spiritual edge that it's emotionally explosive in the world today. We could all get up here and tell stories of being in line somewhere or, or retail or customer service, and you just hear people spewing anger and attacks towards each other. Again, verse 20 tells us this anger worketh, it brings not the righteous, righteousness of God about. We've all heard the statement, we need to slow your roll. I think there's a lot of truth in that. We need to slow our roll. We need to slow down. Quit being so worried thinking that we got to solve the world and we got to correct all the problems and we got to put everybody in the place and we got to tell everybody why they're thinking wrong and what they're doing wrong. If they would do this and they would do that, everything would be better. No. No. Let's be slow to speak and quick to hear. And we're going to see where James takes this, and some of you already know where James, James is taking this. See, this is what happened to Saul in his battle with the Philistines. If you recall that story in, in uh, 1, Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13, uh, yeah, there it is, 1 Samuel 13, 10. So Saul had been told by Samuel to wait, he said, because it was customary and by the law that you were not to go into battle without having a, a uh, uh, it was a peace offering and uh, uh, what was the other offering? I think a burn offering. Yeah, burn offering and a peace offering was required before you went into battle. And so Samuel gets word to Saul, I'm coming. Wait seven days, I'll be there. Seven days get there, Samuel's not there. The Philistines are at the breach. Saul loved the Lord, was called by God, the best man God can find for a king of Israel, which was another problem, but different sermon. And so Saul finally gets to a point and says, well, look, there's no Samuel. Go get me the sacrifice. Bring it to me. Very prideful statement because he wasn't a priest, was he? Was he a Levite priest? No. He was a king. Well, a king can do that. Well, he can do it but he cannot do it scripturally. So he comes and he sacrificed the offering, all in good intentions. He had the right intentions. He was being, you know, spiritual. And it cost Saul his kingdom. Because when Samuel gets there, he's like, dude. He didn't say dude back then, but he said, man, what did you do? He said, I don't know. You didn't show up. We got to go to battle. I'm just doing what I know you were going to do. So I did the burnt offering, the peace offering, we're going to war. He said, no, you've done foolishly. See, Samuel wasn't slow to move. He was quick to move. Oh, he heard, he knew what Samuel said and what was supposed to be done. He didn't apply it. Heard it. But that's here nor there. I got more important things to do. I got to go and do things my way. And it cost Samuel greatly. 
See, the anger of man never accomplishes what God's trying to accomplish. You can be on a team, you can be part of a team, but you can also be disruptive to that team when you're not in unity with the team and, and where it's headed. James says, let this, let's try this instead. This is what our society and culture desperately needs. Let's slow down and meditate in and on God's Word. Let's take in God's Word. And, and I, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I can say boldly, not many believers meditate on the Word of God. They hear it. They show up Sunday. They'll come Wednesday. Maybe even participate in a Bible study. They hear it on the radio, but they never meditate on it. It doesn't get them where God wants them. Notice the process in verse 21. After James says, you know, be slow to, you know, slow to speak and swift to hear. Don't let your anger disrupt the righteousness of God. In verse 21, he says, Therefore, put away all the filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with humility. That's our job. That's our purpose. To make sure we understand the directive and the purpose and the objective of God's Word in our life. But we have to receive it with humility. Richard, you know, great truth this morning in Sunday school, how much our pride disrupts God working in our lives. James says, be humble. To be humble, you've got to be meek like Moses. Set yourself down, absorb the Word of God, meditate on it, be slow to speak, be, be long-suffering in hearing. It tells us, the first part, 21, to set aside those things that easily beset us. That's what Hebrews 12, 1 tells us. Set aside those things that easily beset us, these weights, so we can run the race that was set before us and earn the crown of righteousness. But we got to consciously set aside these things that disrupts us, these things that causes us, causes us to move in our wants, and our will. Well, I'm sorry I can't do that right now because I'm too spitting nails. I'm so mad. Yeah. When we get mad and our anger comes out, this will hurt our feelings this morning. There is no way you can be anger in most cases without being selfish. What bothers you is what happened to you or around you, and it doesn't line up with what you want or what you believe. No, it's what they did to me. It, it, it cost me emotionally or, or financially or physically. Okay, and maybe it did. You start to be angry about it. Didn't Jesus say, turn your cheek seven times? Nowhere in the scriptures does it tell us to be angry. Angry is a selfish response. That flows out of us. It says, receive with meekness the implanted word. So the question is, are we allowing the word of God to be implanted in our lives and, and respond with humility? Because just to have it implanted in our, in our lives and not respond with humility, 
is being a hearer only. Oh, yeah, I heard that. That was a good message. Yeah, I enjoyed that. That was good. And then we go live against it or opposite it to it, counterintuitive. Have you ever encountered or been, got involved? Maybe it's a loved one, a friend, co-worker, or just a stranger. But sometimes you get in a, you know, in a debate, different points of view, and you start realizing quickly that they're only waiting for you to shut up speaking so they can respond. We've all been there. Sometimes they come underneath the guise of a spouse. <laughs> or those close to us. But it happens to all of us. You can see them. I mean, their, their lips are moving. They're like, are you through yet? Come on, hurry up. I already got my next point. Hurry up, hurry up. They're not listening to what you're saying. They've already formulated their next thought, and they're just wanting you to shut up so they can respond. But we do that with the Word of God. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, God, I know, God, yes. But, no, no, no. There's no buts. Listen to the Word of God. Take it in with humility. Meditate on it. And shut up. And let God's Word have its work in your life. This is what James is telling us. He can't get around it. Saul thought he had personal feelings and emotions invested that he was capable to, capable to bring about this peace offering, this burnt offering on behalf of Israel. He didn't have that right. He knew he didn't have that right. And he still acted in it. Go on to verse 22. Because this is where James is leading us to. Be slow to speak, swift to hear, avoid anger. Put away the things that so easily beset us. Receive the word of God with meekness. And he gets to verse 22. And he tells us, but be ye what? Doers of the word and not hearers only. And then what's that last part? Deceiving who? Himself. Be doers of the word. I.e., why do we come to church? Because you sit up there almost every other Sunday and tell us we have to. It's a commandment. Don't forsake yourself from assembling together. I assembled. Who's ever doing that list thing? Make sure they check my name off. There's Christians, that, believers that live like that. Why do we come Wednesday night? That's not scriptural. So why do we come Wednesday night? Why are we a part of a Bible study? It disrupts our week, so to speak, our schedule. Why do we do these things? We do them so the Word of God, we're creating ourselves and putting ourselves in a situation that the Word of God can be implanted into us so we can be doers of what we heard. If we're not willing to try, not being perfect, but if we're not willing to have a spiritual conscious effort to take the Word, of God's, the Word of God we hear on Sunday morning and Wednesday nights and Bible studies or radios or personal devotions, if we're not willing to absorb that, take it, meditate on it, and then apply it to our lives, then why in the heck are we underneath the Word of God? Because we get no spiritual brownie points 
for reading this. We get God's attention when we read this and we do it. Then you get God's attention. Because you cancel night out with your friends and you go to a Bible study, that doesn't impress God. Now, what impressed God is when he sees one of his children in faithful obedience sacrifice their life to the Word of God. That's when God's in awe. See, it's easy. It's so easy to impress God. And it didn't happen getting out of the shower, slapping on some clean clothes and coming here this morning. That's not what impresses God. It gets God's attention. Like, oh, hey, hey, there's a chance here. There's a chance here my spirit can work through them. We might get, I'm you know, having a little fun here, get God a little excited that we're moving that way. But when God's going to start looking is whatever time the preacher shuts up and you walk out of here, that's when the eye of God's upon you. What's he or she going to do with this? That's what he's looking for. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Doing so, you're deceiving yourself. Not Satan, not the world. I know Satan the world won't leave me alone, all this deception. No, we're deceiving ourselves because we think that we know enough about God and read God's word enough and go to church enough and have enough influence enough that we think we're fine. And we live how we want to. Hit and miss on the truth that we know in our lives, but we choose not to live by it because it's not convenient. That is deception. And it happens constantly within the body of Christ. I call it baloney sandwich Christianity. My sister's not, she always laughs when I bring this up. You know, uh, India could, she'll, she'll agree with this probably when I get through. She's a coach as well. It, it, all these years of coaching, you got these student athletes. They, they want to be on the team. They love wearing the jersey on Friday at school. You know, that looks cool. They love being a part of the pep rally because they get set over there in their own little chairs and everybody's cheering for them and patting them on the back. But push comes to shove all week. They didn't want to run. They didn't want to sweat. They didn't want to get hit. They didn't want to hurt. And they dang sure don't want to have to play somebody they don't know that's bigger, faster, and stronger on Friday night or Saturday. The only thing they want to do is be a part of the team and get their bologna sandwich on the way home. I call it bologna sandwich athletes, players. Well, that bologna sandwich mentality happens in Christianity. I want to be on the team. I want to be seen coming to church. But I don't want to really, really be accountable to God's Word. I mean, I think Todd was a little over the line this morning. I don't think he had the right to talk about that. Matter of fact, I want to know how you found out that was going on in my life. I'm going to bring that up to him. So we, we don't want to go through the struggles of changing our life to line up with the Word of God. We don't want to go through a little persecution or trials. We don't want any 
any of these things that go along with growing in Christ's likeness. We just want to come to church, be patted on the back, and get the blessings of God. Bologna sandwich, or bologna. Get rid of the sandwich, it's just bologna. It's the difference between a fan and a follower. Catch this part. The difference between a fan and a follower. Jesus has a whole lot of fans. A whole lot of fans. Jesus doesn't have a lot of followers. We know that in James chapter 6 when he had, you know, around 100 disciples and he gave one discernment and they left him. So they followed him no more. They were fans for a little bit when he was healing them and doing miracles and feeding them and all the fun stuff when they were on the team. But Christ gives a sermon that says, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Talking about the sacrifice to be his disciples. They said, you're out of your mind. That doesn't even, that's cannibalism. I'm out of here. And he turns to the 12 and says, are you also going to go? At least Peter had enough sense. <laughs> Where else are we going to go? You're the only one with the words of living life. That's the difference between a fan and a follower. Being a fan is being around the things of the Christian faith, but not laying hold of them for yourself. We need to lay hold of the righteousness that Jesus has for us and walk in it, according to verse 20. This fan and follower comes from a tremendous book and a Three or four years ago, I don't know how long ago, I did a small series on it. It was a book written by Kyle Eidelman, I-D-L-E-M-A-N. And, and, and the book's called Not a Fan. Those are around. We even printed up T-shirts. Mine's still in my closet. It says Not a Fan. It's an excellent book. I encourage you to read it. I've read it twice. But having read it, you come to realize fans of Jesus mistake knowledge of Jesus for the intimacy with Jesus. Knowledge does not equal intimacy. Intimacy comes when you're all in. Intimacy comes when you sacrifice to something. You're driven by passion to do what it takes to succeed in that endeavor or in that purpose or in that goal. We have too many fair-weather Christians. We have a lot of believers that there's not much difference between their walk with Christ and their devotion to the Dallas Cowboys. When the Cowboys are on top, 12 and 5, going to the playoffs again, you can see it in our economy. Stores talk about it. Retail sales go through the roof. Everybody's now wearing Prescott jerseys, this or that jerseys. Now everybody's a Cowboy fan cheering the Cowboys. Oh, I can't. Then they lose in the first round again. Talking about being angry, but anyway, that's a different point. But when they lose, now everybody's what? Fire the coach. Get rid of them. I'm, I'm following this team. I don't, I'm through with them, this one and done. Fairweather fans. Yeah, fairweather fans. They make it ever make it to the Super Bowl, which will probably happen post-rapture. But if they ever make it to the Super Bowl, you understand, there'll be people bouncing off the walls. They'll be putting stickers on their, star stickers on their car, on their Bibles. Oh, I've been following the Cowboys since I was 12 years old. Oh, yeah. No, that's a fan. 
And the difference is, there's not a one of us, I don't care how loyal you are, I don't care if you say, well, I still stick with them through thick or thin, you're not out there running sprints every day, you're not lifting weights, you're not injured, you're not having surgeries. We're no more invested than sitting in the stands and cheering them on. Believers are fans who call themselves Christians, but yet they're not truly interested in following Jesus. See, the difference between hearing and doing isn't quoting Scripture verses, but rather living out the Scripture, according to verse 22. Don't just be hearers, be doers. That's a follower. If you don't, it's self-deception. Going on to verse 23, we pick up, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, this, this doesn't get our attention. He is like a man who licks, or <laughs> licks, who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. We're familiar with that verse. See, the things about mirrors, and we're so dependent upon mirrors in our life because mirrors point out our imperfections. You know, oh, man, I need, I need to go get that looked at. Or, oh, man, I'm aging. Or, oh, i got to treat this. Or, i got to treat that. Or, you know, i got to go to work. i got to make sure nothing's, you know, there's no blemishes that are embarrassing on me. They're put there to point out our imperfections. That's why the Scripture says God's Word's like a mirror. When we read God's Word, when we're hearers of the Word, it points out our imperfections, our blemishes, those things that we need to change. And we change them by being doers. I mean, here's a challenge for us. Let's go home today after the message, go home, and let's remove every mirror in our house or tape over it, cover it with paper, cover every form of reflection in your house and go about living your life every day. That'd be challenging, would it not? Get up, shower, nothing to look at, just draw off, try to wash your face, try to put on your makeup, try to comb your hair. You know, and walk out saying, I hope nothing's sticking out or, you know, that shouldn't be. There ain't no way we'd do that. Now, I got to look in the mirror. I got to see what I look like before I go out. Point is, if we had as much vanity about our spiritual appearance as we did our physical, we'd be some fine-looking Christians then. Problem is, we're more concerned about the vanity of our personal appearance, how we present ourselves, what we look like, what people think about us, than what we really are. Misapplied vanity. I'm not worried about if I look like Jesus. I'm worried if I look, about, look like somebody else. I'm trying to get my hair cut like or dress like or appear like. 
The whole point of the mirror is hears and doers concerning the Word of God. Be aware of the imperfections. Look for the imperfections in our life through His Word. How are we going to change in Christ's likeness if we're not even in the Word of God, if we're not pursuing the Word of God? I'm not picking on anybody that's not here this morning or what. This is our individual walks with God, but the vast number of people that are saved are going to the same heaven that all believers are going to, and yet week after week and day after day never put themselves underneath the Word of God consistently. And yet when we're called to be Christ-like, that is impossible to do. We're deceiving ourselves. And we mask that over because we do some stuff. That's why we're being told. Don't be hearers only, be doers. I'll close with this. It's not hopeless, though. This isn't a beat-you-down message. It's a point-driven message. And James is very poignant through these passages. But he tells us God is always God, and where God is, goodness prevails. Amen? Look what it says in verse 25. It says, but, there's your conjunction again. The Bible's loaded with conjunctions. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the Word of God, the law of liberty, the freedom it brings, and perseveres, remember the trials and tribulations, count it all joy, my brother, when you fall into diverse temptations, perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed. I need God. I just need some blessings. I just need God to work in my life. Then do what God asks you to do, and it says the blessings are endless. No, we want to bypass the doing part. We just want to go to the blessing part. I don't want to practice all week. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to go through all that. Just, just you know, give me my trophy at the end. Don't get me started on that on Pee Wee Sports. Sign up, give them a trophy. Why do we even have the season? Sign up, pay $100, give them a trophy. It's not hopeless. There's endless promises. It's a free scriptural facelift or spiritual facelift. We don't have to spend thousands of dollars for somebody else to make us over. We can have a free makeover. As we act upon the Word of God, these blessings unfold in our lives. This is the meat of the truth. It's the blessings that God has for us. I can say, I mean, just from personal experience, the more I read the Word of God, the more flawed and desperate and fearful I become. Well, the Word of God, oh, well, you must be reading the wrong Bible the wrong way. Well, why are you so scared? Because I see myself, and it scares me. It scares me so much so that I'm like, God, help me. Don't help me with blessings. Help me change. Help me to, to remove and change and, and cover up these blemishes in my life. 
I know what the byproduct is. I know the blessings will come. I'm telling you, as your pastor, so far from perfect, but I can't tell you over the years of growing through my ministry of when I could, the best I could, when I responded to the Word of God, the blessings that pulled upon me and my family. I could stand up here for the rest of the week and tell you blessings after blessings. Are we rich? No. Do we have abundance? No. Do we have problems? More than any of y'all can even imagine the problems Sam and I have. That we have to deal with daily. But those problems do not outweigh the blessings we can attest to. The blessings that allow us to deal with those problems. Oh, what a concept. I can't deal with life. You're right. You won't in the flesh. You can only deal with life by the blessings and the favor and the power of God through you. See, oftentimes we read the word blessings in Scripture. I'm not attacking any faith, but we look at blessings as health and wealth prosperity. Oh, if I do that, I'm going to get blessed? Yeah. But your blessing may be that you can keep your head above water and continue to walk in the Lord and deal with life. Oh, I thought I was really going to get something. You did get something. You didn't get what you got was the most valuable thing. You were looking for temporal blessings. That's why Christians are falling by the wayside. That's why churches are diminishing. As of this year, the churches in America are diminishing. Why? Because people can't keep their head above water because they're missing the blessings of God and they're giving up on life. And yet God says, I, can, <laughs> I got liberty for you. I got peace for you. And I can make sure that you will persevere. This is what the church needs today. Us, the body of believers so bad. Is keep our focus on Jesus. Don't let this world distract us. Don't let those temptations that we talked about last week to lure us away. Just what? We're smarter than that. We know there's nothing better than Jesus. But man, we just want to dabble in the world. I'm all about Jesus. I just want, man, I just kind of like life. I kind of like my life. I just, I want to do this. I want to do that. It's not about what you can and can't do. It's about when you pursue things other than Jesus. Then you quit being a doer of the word and you walk away just being a hearer only and you know the truth and you act against that truth in your life. Close with verses 26 and 27. Back to reality. If any man among you, if he thinks he's religious, catch that word? If he thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, shut up. Quit thinking you have to have an opinion or a thought or a comment on everything. If he can't bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is... That's why there's so many non-powerful believers out there that the Holy Spirit's not working or can't work freely through them because of their actions make their faith worthless. We're not talking about salvation. 
We're talking about their Christian walk. It has no power. The Holy Spirit's not working and flowing through them. It's worthless. Verse 27. James, this is those ver- these, these verses people don't like. James says, you want to know what good religion is? You want to know what's right, what's pure, what's undefiled by God's definition? Visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. That's not preacher's definition. That's not an encouraging comment. That's the Holy Spirit telling us, you want the right religion? You want to have a right faith? You want something that is pure and undefiled? Do these three things. Three things. That's all it's listed is three things. Deal with the orphans, deal with the widows, and don't be stained or influenced by this world. This took me back. I didn't know this till last night. Do you realize as of last year, according to multiple sources, UNICEF being one of them, that 22, estimated roughly 22,000 children died daily around the world, not just impoverished South African countries, the whole world globally, and that includes the United States of America too. You know, there are children in America, I, mean, I forgot to write down the percentage they're estimating. There are children in America that are part of this 22,000 that die from poverty. In the United States of America. Not the 22,000, there's a percentage. But around the world, 22,000 children are dying a day. Poverty. As of last year, there's estimated 40 million evangelical Protestant believers. That'd be you and I. 40 million in America. There's right at 1 million churches in America. And as of last year, there's a little bit over 500,000 orphans in America. Million churches, 4 million members. If you read verse 27, that would be one orphan for every eighth believer of two churches combined. Does that make sense? The average size church in America is 62 people. So if you took of the million churches, you put two churches together, you'd have 120 members and one out of 16 of that church of 120 could minister to 500,000 orphans in America. We don't have time for widows. We don't have time for orphans. And we get stained and distracted by the world. 
And we're deceived if we think we're living the way God calls us to live. I love you to death, but it doesn't matter what we think about messages like that, like this. It doesn't matter what we think. It's what God says. And if you have a problem with a message like today, I love you, but then that individual would embody exactly what James is talking about here. Like that, I, I, or what I'm supposed to do, just bring in orphans and do this. and do, That's the problem. We're making it about us. We hear, but then we get offended by what we hear, or I don't know, I just don't agree with that. That's our prerogative, to agree or not to agree with the Word of God. Your and mine's prerogative, you and I both, we can freely live however we want to live by our definition, our standard of religious service. We can choose and define that all we want to. But those that do it by their own definition, their own way, then that believer is exactly what James is talking about verse 19 through verse 27. That's our problem in America today. That's our problem in the church in America today. Do you draw somebody to the church? How can I say it? If you, the means in which you draw them to church is the means that you will direct them to. Does that make sense? If you draw people to the church about anything and everything activities this and that and all that stuff outside the gospel whatever you draw them to besides the gospel that's what you lead them to does that make sense that's why churches today need to be more specific what they're drawing people to are we drawing people to the word of god as a mirror and asking them to look in that mirror and respond or are we skirting around this if we don't like that reflection, we just look at another mirror. Oh, I look okay on this side. And just stroll on by. I know these aren't fun messages, but they're truthful messages. And they're God's message for the church today. But our blessings are unlimited. The only thing we have to be is doers of the word. And blessings unfold in our lives that will make life for the better. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for this morning and the time we took. A little lengthy, I'll be the first to admit. But Father, we cannot apologize for your word. It's truthful. When we find scriptures and passages and truths that, that rub us the wrong way, that unsettle us or we just want to disagree with, that's the proverbial mirror we need to be looking in. That's the blemish, the spot, the spiritual cancer that we need to address in our life. Your word is honest, it's straightforward, it's pure, it's undefiled, and that's what you call us to. Because you want us to mature. You want us to lack nothing by way of your blessings and your goodness and your righteousness.
Are we willing to be doers of it? It just starts by us humbly, with that meekness, receiving and allow your word to be implanted in us. And that that same humility that we live it out to the best of our ability and grow in Christ-likeness. Thank you for your word. I thank you for its conviction, its power, and ultimately its purpose in our life. As the music plays, as the Lord leads you, altars open. Maybe a good time you can do it where you're standing or sitting, or a good time just to come in that humility. Maybe we need to look a little deeper in the mirror. Pay a little bit more attention to the imperfections in our life. It's not to point out and make fun of us. It's to bring about God's blessings. Praise the Lord for God's truth that lights our pathway. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for your love and your compassion to us. We thank you that you've given us your truth that we can follow and, and it leads us out of bondage and into freedom of abundant living. Help us to take your word seriously, Father, and to walk in your truth. Lord, we praise you and we're overwhelmed with gratitude. Your love and your salvation toward us. In Jesus' name, amen.